Holy Hour of Power, Terry and Jesse show. My name is, uh, I am the Latin lover of Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Latin lover of Our Lady, and I'm reporting for duty. Terry, what about you? I'm reporting for duty. I'm the, I'm the Lebanese lover of Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and the Lebanese lover of Our Lady. And it's always an honor to share the gospel. We got great topics today, especially in the times that we're living in. One of the topics we're going to cover is sharing your faith with other, others. Went from Everett Fritz. He has three tips on how to be a better evangelist. I think he makes some great points. Also, our good friend Philip Lawler. What is active participation at Mass? You know, this is huge. We had a huge show yesterday on the Trinitine Mass and the majesty of the Mass. we got to keep hitting on this because if you don't understand the Mass, you don't understand anything. So this is a good topic. And then, of course, we have our friends from... See them, um, and they're going to be talking about an update on the church's politics and culture with Church Militant. And uh, Jess, I have to say something that just shocks me. We're talking about evangelization. You know, we have the conference coming up on the 14th of January with your brother and myself. And uh, here's a story, Jesse. Catholic school district to fire substitute teacher. Why? Because you're not there to evangelize these mm. our students. Knock it off. And basically, he was scandalized because the kids ask him a legitimate question. He shows them in the Bible and the catechism the answer, and he gets fired. If you're in that school out in Canada, get your kids out of that wow. school, man. Brutal. Here's another good story. I say good story for this guy who's standing up for the faith, not willing to take a hit on it. A former soccer player. We knew about this months ago, Jesse. But this is a good story because she went to court. This former soccer player was benched for refusing to kneel for the BLM uh, stunt you know, that they were going to have for their soccer game, everybody but her, and now she's suing the coach, and the judge is saying she's right. You see what we have to do to these people, Jess? We have to go to court over it because this is yes. ridiculous what they're forcing us to do in this woke culture that we're in. So those are, those are the stories, and that's why evangelization is so important right now because we've lost it, man. We Our fires have gone out. Your thoughts, Jess? Yeah, Terry. Uh, speaking about our fires going yeah. out, uh, President Joe, unelected President Joe oh, Biden has signed the so-called Disrespect for Marriage Act into One law. The saddest days in our country. Yes, it was signed by a Catholic. Yep. Uh, spurning warnings, the act will impede religious freedom. And surrounded by LGBT activists, as he signed it, lawmakers and drag queens... Uh, the move was strongly condemned by religious leaders like Catholic vote president Brian Birch. Uh, this gross attempt to redefine marriage, he said, allows radical activists to declare war on anyone that disagrees with them. This is horrible. Uh, every single bishop should have been at the White House, Terry, I know, I pounding, on the, pounding on the front door, asking to be let in. Yeah. <clears throat> also, Tell me. DeSantis calls for grand jury over COVID shots. Pretty On Tuesday... Uh, Governor Ron DeSantis announced he is petitioning the Supreme Court of Florida to impanel a grand jury to investigate any wrongdoing related to COVID-19 shots. DeSantis made the announcement alongside Florida Surgeon General Joseph Ladapo and other health officials at an event focused on accountability for the COVID-19 mRNA shots. Good for him. We need more pushback, and that's what we're getting now. Thanks be to God. Yes, yes. Also... An independent review board in the Archdiocese of Chicago said there's no reason to suspect Father Michael Flager, 
is guilty of allegations that he sexually abused a minor over 30 years ago. Cardinal Blaise Supich announced Saturday flagrant celebrity priest known for his leftist activism has now been exonerated on four different sexual abuse allegations brought against him since 2021. Yeah, it depends who you know. If, uh, if you're connected and you're a lefty, uh, they will uh, sweep your your sins under the carpet. We've seen that over if you're or, if you're orthodox, yeah, you're done. Uh, they will throw the book at you, Terry. You got it. Yeah. We we know so many orthodox priests who were falsely accused, and they it was devastating them. Just uh, let's get some uh, soul food, and then on the saint of the day, I have some information that I just found out about John of the Cross, and he can relate to what we're dealing with today. But let's get the Ooh. yeah yeah. You're gonna like what he what I found out about him. Got it. Soul food, Luke chapter 7, verse 18 and following. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. At that time, John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we look for another? When the men came to the Lord, they asked, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to ask you, Are you the one who was to come, or should we look for another? At that time, Jesus cured many of their diseases, sufferings, and evil spirits. He also granted sight to many who were blind, and he said to them in reply, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind regain their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the good news proclaimed to them. And blessed is the one who takes no offense at me, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Jess, I want you to talk about John of the Cross, but I got something that... Uh, go ahead, first, you first, brother, because this is going to yeah. make... It made me feel like, wow, this guy's a man's man. Go ahead. Yep. Uh, here in today's gospel where our Lord Jesus Christ, yeah. you know, he basically says in, in verse 18 yes. that we're called to take heed. Jesus is attaching great responsibility to his message because the blessings of God's truth must not be uh, ignored. They must be treasured. They must be char- shared since whoever neglects or ignores uh, God's truth will lose them. Just like, for example, Joe Biden, for uh, case in point. Verse 21 also jumps out at me in today's passage uh, because we, we see in, in the gospel. By the way, Luke is the only non-Jewish writer, in case people, you know, where you're wondering. He's the only non-Jewish writer. He was a Greek physician. But uh, yeah, in, in verse 20, where it says, look for another. John knows the Messiah is coming, but he's not certain. He's uncertain whether it's Jesus if he fits the description, he may have been influenced by popular views that the Messiah would reign as a king in Jerusalem, as a warlord, that he would conquer the Romans. But Jesus makes no moves in that direction, and John naturally wants his reassurance. Also, verse 22 jumps out at me where it says that Jesus manifests his identity through his works. In other words, the restoration of the blind, the lame, the lepers, the deaf, and the dead these confirm the miracles of the Messiah that were spoken of by Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah the prophet told us what type of miracles the Messiah would perform in Isaiah chapter 35 and Isaiah chapter 61. And Jesus basically repeats the prophet Isaiah, what he said the Messiah would accomplish. And guess what? Jesus had accomplished those very things. So he's pointing to himself as the Messiah. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Wow. Great. And what about John the Baptist, Jess? Terry, I mean, John the about, Baptist. not John the Baptist. I'm sorry. I say John of the Cross. John of the Cross. Thank you. <laughs> well, 
uh, one of the things about John of the Cross, uh, when St. Teresa of Avila met John of the Cross back in 1568, she was convinced that God was calling this young priest to join her in the work of reforming the Carmelites. And so John of the Cross, he became master of novices for the Discalced Carmelite Friars, and then he became spiritual director to St. Teresa of Avila. And when a backlash against the reformers occurred, <laughs> members of his own order imprisoned John of the Cross in a tiny cell yep. in Toledo for nine months. Toledo, Spain. Yep. He passed through a period of interior darkness. Can you imagine being thrown in jail by your your fellow religious, uh, yep. uh, you know, your, your religious order? So obviously, he as he was in prison, he he went through this interior darkness. And he composed poems and spiritual canticles. It, it was basically there where he got the, the name, the mystical doctor, because of his ardent, his elegant writings earned him the title of mystical doctor. And in fact, St. John Paul II learned Spanish in order to read the poetry of St. John of the Cross. Yes, another quick note. Those nine months he sat in prison, uh, much of that time they would take him out and they would whip him. They would beat him, okay, because his problem was he was trying to reform the order because it was too liberal. Now, before that happened, he was actually a Jesuit in formation, and he left the Jesuit order to go to the Carmelites. And so when Teresa of Avila met up with John of the Cross, two great mystics, right? Mm. John of the Cross was saying, hey, this— I don't have to fight this. I'm going to go join the Carthusians, the strictest order in the church. And yeah. Teresa of Avila did exactly what Jess said. No, 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 no. You, you got to work with me, man. Gilbert, we, do you believe in the Virgin gotta, Mary? We got to reform. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, I love I'm it. I'm a joker. I don't believe I I don't know how this got on, but okay. Sir, the said, no, <laughs> sir, <laughs> sir. Are you a little maggot? You make me want to vomit. <laughs> Richard, are you there? I'm going to stomp your guts out. All now, right. you do love the Virgin Mary, Mr. don't you? Here, can we get that? Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. What I wanted to say is, John, uh, excuse me, St. John of the Cross was a man's man. He took his beating, and from what I understand from our priests today, lay people are the ones who got him out of prison. In other words, they weren't going to let him out. And I, I thought about that, Jesse. Do we have any good holy souls in prison right wow. now? Well, we might be sooner or later. And Jess, right, Jess, are we willing to rescue our brothers and sisters? See, that's what John of the Cross, that's what got me. I thought, wow, lay people got him out of jail, man. The, oh, his own order was persecuting him. So is that applying us today? I think so, Jesse. I think there's church members right now, high officials, who are persecuting our brothers and sisters that are priests today. So anyhow, I just thought I'd mention that. All right, we're going to come back. We'll see if we got room for Fulton Sheen when we come back. But John of the Cross, please pray for us at this Amen. time here in 2022. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. Yeah, we get pumped about the saints. You know why? Yes. You know why, Jess? Because they love Jesus in a heroic way. And that's what oh, we're absolutely. called to do, man. Stay yep. with us, family. You'll, you'll be right with Kidding? us. Yeah. God bless you.
Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse show. Jess, I get excited when I see the lives of the saints mm-hmm. because, you know, yep. they make me motivated to go and be likewise and not worry about what the world says. And this is a, uh, I'm going to quote Bishop Sheen because I think John of the Cross uh, implemented what Sheen said. So let's bring the smartest guy into the room, Fulton Sheen. Full Sheen ahead. Sheen says, what happens to us is not important, but rather how we react to what happens? For example, Jess, yeah, I get good. cancer today. Yeah. Okay? Guess what, Jess? Thank you, Jesus, because he gave me cancer. That means I'm going to suffer. I can offer it up. He's going to give me an opportunity. Okay, you see my attitude? It's not woe is me. Oh, I got put in jail. Jesse, if I get thrown in jail for saying that a biblical worldview on marriage is between a man and a woman, guess what? God's permissive will allowed me to go to prison. I'm going to make the best of it. You see? Bishop Sheen's point is not what happens to you. How do you react to what goes on in your life? And I would like to encourage people who tell me, oh, I'm, I'm in bad shape. I can't do anything. Knock it off, okay? Get an attitude of gratitude because that's welcome just about everywhere. People who complain, Jesse, I have not much sympathy for. Your thoughts? No, exactly. You show them where the, you show them where the front door is at yep. and don't let it hit you on your way out, my friend. <laughs> okay, let's get to our next yeah. topic, brother. Yeah, I'll tell you... Uh, there's a short little video from Edify, yep. and it's about evangelization. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people struggle to share their faith with others. We have Everett Fritz. Yep. He's giving. He's going to give us three tips on how better on, on how to better minister to everyone in your community. Good. Because the, essentially, what we're called to do is make disciples and make fishers of men. So let's see what we can glean from this uh, short little video, and then we'll discuss it. Mister Engineer, can you play the clip? For my entire adult life, I've been working in one of the most difficult mission fields in the church today, evangelizing youth. The battle is constant and the stats are alarming, with the nuns now the majority religion among Gen Z. For every one convert that we make, six more Catholics walk away from the faith, and the vast majority of them are young. We've got a big problem. Why are young people leaving the faith? The simplest answer is because the church has failed to meet their needs. I've met many Catholics who say the solution is more and better catechesis, that if people simply understood our faith, they wouldn't leave the church. The reality is that every individual has different reasons for leaving the church, even the well-catechized, and we can only know those wounds and minister to them if we are willing to grow close to them. Jesus provides a perfect example of this in his interactions with lepers. See, leprosy literally causes people to fall apart and decay, and in ancient Jewish terms, lepers were unclean. But Jesus is not afraid to get close to and even touch the lepers. Instead of Jesus becoming unclean, the lepers are made clean by his touch. Like with the lepers, Jesus comes into our lives, and we, the sinners, are made clean by coming into contact with Jesus. See, nowadays, I meet many Christians who are more likely to keep their distance from sinners than come close to them. But we can't afford to shout unclean and keep our distance, leaving it at that. And here's why. Jesus gave us the commandment to go and make disciples of all nations. This calling is for every Christian. How do we make that calling a reality in our lives? We'll start by taking these three tips to heart. First, listen to the other person's story and seek to understand them. This is extremely important. Here's an example. I once met a girl named Julia who was 17 years old and known for her drinking problem, though she told me she wanted to quit. 
I assumed she couldn't stop drinking because she was addicted to the sin, but I was way off. It turns out her father was absent from her life, her mother was always busy, and her brother was in rehab. And the only people in her life were her friends, who got drunk every weekend. And so she did too. In reality, Julia didn't need help with rehab as much as she needed friends who encouraged her to better habits. If I hadn't listened to her story, I would have never identified the wounds that I needed to minister to. Second, share your own testimony. You should be able to do this in three minutes. Casually talk about your relationship with Jesus Christ and how it has changed your life. When the church spread rapidly in the early years following the resurrection of Jesus, it was through the lively witness of the apostles and early Christians. Speaking about your relationship with Jesus and how he has moved powerfully in your life often builds up the kingdom of God more than arguing on apologetics. Finally, and most importantly, pray for those who you minister to. Pray to have a heart of compassion, especially for your enemies, because when you learn to love your enemies, they cease to be your enemy. Your prayers bring the grace of Jesus Christ, which breaks down more walls in seconds than we could ever do ourselves in our lifetime. Jesus never intended us to sit on the sidelines. We must take on his call. Now go and make disciples. Good, man. Good. Yeah, yeah good, good stuff. Terry, comments? Yeah. Oh, yeah, my comments are this. A lot of that stuff is right in my book, How to Share Your Faith with Anyone. You know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so being, you know, interested in people... You know, uh, telling them your conversion story. I have a whole chapter in my book on how to do that, the do's and don'ts. And, um, yeah, it's very important in praying with people. And this is all good stuff. But, you know, Jess, this is what we've been lacking right now. Catholics are staying quiet. We need to wake up this sleeping giant to say, wait a minute, we have the fullness of the faith and we keep it to ourselves? No, 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 no. We, we really do need to evangelize home, at work, anywhere we go. Because life is short and eternity is forever. So I want to I wanna say, Fritz, keep it up. Because uh, Everett Fritz, you did a great job in a short amount of time inspiring people to share their faith with anyone. Terry, I'll tell you what doesn't help is there's been a lot of, ever since uh, the Second Vatican Council, there's been a lot of what we would call weaponized ambiguity. Oh, yeah. Which, which a lot of prelates, Terry, speak out of both sides of their mouth. We know the clear teachings of Jesus Christ is go out and make disciples and baptize everybody in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them everything that I have commanded you. But you have today modern prelates, uh, cardinals, even the Pope has mentioned, has made statements about about, uh, evangelization is is, is proselytization. They've equipped... And, you know, we shouldn't be proselytizing uh, Muslims and Protestants, et cetera, et cetera. This sends a, a mixed message to the rank and file where they're saying, well, look what the Holy Father's saying. Look what this bishop's saying. Look what this cardinal's saying. They're saying that that's proselytism, what I'm trying to do. Yeah. I'm trying to share my faith in Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, and they're saying that that's not ecumenical. So, again, we have what's called, ever since Vatican II, it's been a very intentional with the modernists. They use weaponized ambiguity in their documents, in in, in, in their in their phraseology. And, uh, in fact, I remember Edward Skillabix, one of the council fathers. Yeah, liberal. Yeah, yeah, liberal council fathers. He actually said the following, quote, we used ambiguous phrases during the Second Vatican Council, and we know how we will interpret them afterwards, close quote. And so, uh, again, I I think another thing that 
works has worked against us these last 50, 60 years is uh, <clears throat> many modernists in the church, they don't believe in evangelization. I think they've no. lost their supernatural faith. They, they use what Tim Gordon calls secret codified heteropraxy. <laughs> secret <laughs> codified heteropraxy. In other words, it doesn't matter what the documents of the church say about evangelization. It doesn't, doesn't, we don't care what the original meaning says. We're just going to pour a different meaning into it and we're just going to force it down people's throats. And we're going to say, this is what the documents mean. Forget about what you read in the documents. We'll tell you what they, we'll tell you what it means. And evangelization is proselytization. And so, uh, again, but as Catholics, uh, we just got to go back to basic New Testament exactly. the- theology. Exactly. We got to go back and we've got to do what St. Peter, St. Paul, the apostles did. We've got to share uh, our faith in the person of Jesus Christ, because truth is a person. I was talking to a Mormon last night. And uh, she was a young mom, and she said, so what is truth? What is truth? I thought I was in the truth for 30 years. You know, now you're telling me that it's not true. What is true? I said, I said, relax. I said, truth is a person. It's not a creed. It's not a book. It's not a magazine. It's not a poem. It's not a creed. It's a person, the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the second person of the Trinity. And then I, then I said, well, why can't I be Mormon then and and, and believe in Jesus Christ of Nazareth? Because I believe in him. I said, well, here's the problem is that. Jesus, remember our basic fourth grade uh, English classes, a noun is a person, place, or thing. Yep. So Jesus calls himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6. The Bible also says that the church, the church is a noun, it's, 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 a, it's a thing. The church is a pillar and foundation of truth. So I asked this lady last night, this Mormon, I said, so the New Testament says that Jesus is the truth and the church is the truth. Is, uh, are, 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 is that in conflict? I said, no, it's not in conflict because the church, Ephesians 5, 21, mm-hmm. is the bride of Christ. So to fall in love with Jesus and open your heart and surrender your life to Jesus is to open your heart and surrender your heart to his bride, the Catholic church. All of a sudden, you can see something just lifted from her mind and she was able to understand that. I said, I hate, this, I hate to just be so frank, but the Bible doesn't say anywhere that in 1835, the gospel would be <laughs> preached anew. Uh, and God would start up a new religion with a new prophet in 1835 in Palmer, New York. I said the Mormon religion is a false gospel, yeah. and, uh, and 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 she accepted it. It was a very good conversation. Great. Great. But again, I mean, you know, I, 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 Terry, I just it's just New Testament theology. Right. Je- and that and you know, Jesse, what you just did is what we need to be doing more. Think about. I'll make a case in point: the Panama Conference, where the Franciscans been down there for forty years <laughs> and never baptized anybody into the church. Because you know what it is, Jess? I, the element you, that's what you said is absolutely true. But in addition to that. They think everybody's saved. They don't need baptism. They don't believe in the gospel message of uh, Matthew chapter 25 about going out and preaching the gospel. They think that it's not necessary because, hey, God doesn't expect everybody. You know, God's just going to bring everybody in and, you know, don't worry about it. That's heresy. OK, I just I'll just be out in front of no, universal salvation has been condemned by the Catholic Church over many years. And I yes. think what we have to do is go back to the fundamental perennial teachings of the Church and the saints. And that's what we do here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And that's why we get condemned by, you know, liberal people, because they say, hey, you guys are pre-Vatican too. Hey, man, you're pre—what? Give me a break. What we're teaching is what the Church has always taught. Exactly. And and uh, Dr. Peter Crafe, one of the arguments that he makes is that— the problem that we have so many nuns, N-O-N-E-S, yeah. amongst young people yeah. is because 
authentic evangelization has been replaced with social justice. Exactly. So we're trying to make young people uh, these uh, these uh, Marxist moral agents of change instead of introducing them into the person of Jesus Christ and his majesty and making them disciples of Christ. We're making a lot of young Catholics disciples of Karl Marx and not disciples of Jesus Christ. And Jesse, that's what we talked about yesterday about the horizontalism of of the world right now. We are vertical. We're sending people to Christ, not to, you know, the world. And so this is something that here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio, we will continue to preach on and share the good news of Jesus Christ and the perennial teachings of the church. Jesse, uh, this is going to fit right in when we come back to our next topic. What is active participation in the Mass? And how do we get more out of the Mass? Well, folks, when you you come back, you're going to hear from Uh, our good friend Phil Lawler's article because he nailed it, man. Active participation is interior participation. It's all about uh, what you put in. Not how you you feel. Not how you feel. Tell me how you feel. Jesse, (laughs) tell me what you really think later. No, this is is basic Catholicism 101. Why? We need it. Stay with me. Hit it, Jess. We're back. Love God, save souls, and slay error. (laughs) That's what it's all about. What active participation really means. Vatican II called for active participation by the laity in Sacrosanctum Concilium, the Eucharistic liturgy. No one to my knowledge, writes Philip Lawler, disputes that active participation is desirable. The question is, what does active participation mean? Mm. Let me offer an answer in a roundabout way. 18 years have passed, yet the memory's still fresh since that happy evening when Keith Folk grabbed the bouncing ball, tossed the first base, and the den in the Lawler household exploded in jubilation. After years of painful disappointment, we had won the World Series. Did you notice that I said, we won? Unless I am much mistaken, nobody who wore a Red Sox uniform that night was aware of the Lawler's family's existence. We had thrown no pitches fielded no flies, stolen no bases. We had contributed nothing tangible to the victory, yet there was no doubt in our minds that we had won. The Red Sox would have won, presumably, even if we had not invested so much emotional and psychic energy on on their behalf. Our cheers in a den, far removed from the action, did nothing to help their performance. Still, it was our victory. Why? Because although we did not bat or pitch, we were undeniably, unmistakably, active participants if you had been in the Lawler den that night you would have you would have no doubts on that score if you did visit our home that evening but weren't a baseball fan you might have watched the game the same game that we were watching without any real interest in the outcome you then would have been you would have, you would have then been a spectator not an active participant there's a difference the experience of attending a baseball game has changed quite a bit since I was a boy There's loud rock music between innings, even between at-bats. The jumbotron blares out messages, statistics of the players, advertisements and promotions of the upcoming games, cute little contests for the fans, even suggestions on when to cheer. Video cameras sweep across the stands so that faces from the crowd show up on the screen. Some fans might be selected at random to toss out the first pitch or brush off home plate or introduce a starting lineup. 
So all these gimmicks make people more ardent fans. Not really. They give people something to do. They entertain. They may or may not enhance the overall experience of a day at the ballpark. They may help to create a friendly atmosphere among the fans and make the game more of a community event. But they don't cause what a real baseball fan would recognize as an active participant. You see my point? Mm -hmm. I trust. Active participation does not mean giving people something to do. Something extrinsic to the real action. Active participation means being absorbed in that action. Not one's own action, like mugging for the video cameras or shouting answers to the trivia questions on the Jumbotron or doing the wave. But in the central action, that is the whole reason for attending the event. In this case, the baseball game. Since Vatican II liturgists have given lay Catholics more things to do at Mass, singing the hymns, saying the responses, or for a few people, bringing up the gifts, while the rest of the congregation passively watches, exchanging the sign of peace. These actions may or may not enhance the overall experience of attending Mass. They may or may not strengthen the feeling of community. I'll leave that question aside for now. My point is that they do not address the most important issue. Our goal is active participation but active participation in what this is where it comes to be gold continue jess this is this paragraph right here there is only one plausible answer to that question i suggest here comes active participation in the mass means becoming absorbed in the eucharistic sacrifice in christ's sacrifice active participation flows from the realization that we the lady are not the central actors nor is the priest, except insofar as he acts in persona Christi. Active participation means walking in spirit along the path to Calvary, and from there to the empty tomb, everything else is extraneous. He nailed it. Jess, let me just throw something in about Adoramus there. I'm a member of, board member of the Adoramus group, and I would recommend anybody to just type in Adoramus on their search engine and get their newsletter because... What what Phil is doing is really just, I mean, active participation means walking in the spirit along the path to Calvary from there to the empty tomb. Wow. See, people think that they got to be up there doing jumping jacks or doing whatever they got to do. And that's it. That's how they make them. No, no, no. It's interior. And he says, yes, we're coming together in a community. Acknowledge that, Jess. But what binds us together is our shared status as pilgrims on that path. Yes, we sing and we pray aloud together, but we do so to praise our Savior and ask his mercy. The Mass will be celebrated whether we are there or not. That's a great point. Whether we are distracted or not. Christ's saving sacrifice will be consummated with or without us. We only choose whether or not we want to be united to that sacrifice. Jess, I'll let you finish, but that is a, a critical point that, you know, what we get out of the Mass is what we put in it. If we just go there and say, can you entertain me like some people want to think it's about, about that's that they've got the wrong message. It's about worship. Terry, last week I was at uh, Portland, Oregon, speaking at the men's conference. Uh, uh, Bishop Ken uh, Samples was there. Great guy. Uh, he had some very good priests there. Deacon Shivers was there. Yeah. Steve Ray was there. And I remember one of the priests that gave a, a talk. He was a young priest that does the Latin Mass out in the diocese there. And he said something which was stunning. And, and I just thought about it. I said, he's right. Yeah. 
he said, he says, I'll tell you why the mass, you can't be jumping around and being happy, clappy and raise your hands and hooping and hollering like if you're at some rodeo. He says, because at the mass, he goes this, he said this, you're at Jesus's funeral. Terry, I never heard that in my life before. Well, that's but, very insightful. Yeah, it, it is insightful. I, it's, I just I just paused. I've been thinking about that for a whole week and yeah. a half since I've come back. Yeah. He goes at the mass. He says, you're at Jesus's funeral. And I know what he means. What he meant to say is that that we're at the one eternal sacrifice yeah. on Calvary that's been made present. And so I, 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 it was, but just saying it that way, he says, would you be hooping and hollering and dancing a jig and raising your hands no. and yelling at a funeral? He says, that's why Mary wasn't yelling. That's St. Mary Magdalene and St. John the Baptist. They were in contemplative silence, which is the highest form of prayer. Yeah, Jesse, you took I mean, I'm words just, out I'm, of my I, mouth, buddy. Right? Our Blessed Mother did active participation at the More than anybody the else. She's the model. Yeah. Hey, Jess, thanks for sharing that about the prayer. That should stay with all of us, man. That's powerful. <laughs> so you know what, Jess, though? Yeah. Here again, what's happened, though, with the Mass is it's been dumbed down to a point where, you know, like our engineer just told us when he went to a Mass in uh, San Dimas, Holy Name of Mary, and the priest is doing the Eucharistic prayer and looking at everybody eye to eye. He's not saying that prayer to the people. That prayer's for Jesus, man. <laughs> Someone needs to tell that guy he got it wrong. But you see, that's because, and I'll make one more comment about ad orientum, that it's much easier to have active participation spiritually when the priest is not facing you. It's a distraction. I'll be honest with you, Jess, because he looks like, this is what my priest friends have said. I think they told you this, that when they do ad orientum, they can pray the Mass better because they don't feel like they're being looked at. You get it? Well, I get it. Yeah, that's right, Terry. And uh, Father Chad Ripperger, he comments on active participation. He says, the new rite as a form of prayer is hard to pray mentally since there are more things said out loud. And the general tenor of Vatican, uh, the Vatican documents on the subject encourages a form of participation that requires more things occurring on the side of the laity. The old Mass since it is less activist on the side of the laity, tends to make it easier for them to pray the Mass. I can see that point. Yeah, Father Fessio talks about active participation. He said this, uh, the first papal usage was in 1903 by Pope St. Pius X, yep. whose motto was to restore all things in Christ. He considered himself a Pope of renewal. Uh, he was elected in August of 1903, and in November, he issued one of the first documents of his pontificate, called Among the Concerns. This was a document on the renewal of, in the sacred liturgy. Uh, yeah, yeah, this was a document on the renewal of sacred music in the sacred liturgy. In it, Father Fessio writes, the Holy Father states, in order that the faithful may more actively participate in the sacred liturgy, let, let them be once again made to sing Gregorian chant as a congregation. I also have another article from Father Fessio. He says the same thing. That's what he, he's been saying. Actuosa, participatio, active participation. Father Fessio argues in many of the articles that he's written for Adoramos yes. that it refers explicitly and exclusively to the restoration of the congregational singing of Gregorian chant, Terry. Well, and you know what the Vatican II said? Gregorian chant was supposed to have prime of place. Uh, is that being implemented? I don't think so, Jess. Again, you know, and I'll tell you why it hasn't. It's again, if Tim Gordon uses the word. He says what a lot of the council fathers 
the modernists after the council, though the documents state one thing, they figured, okay, these lay Catholics are not going to read them. So, so what they do, he's, he says they promote what's called secret codified heteropraxy. (laughs) They do it all the time. In other words, so they figured he doesn't read the documents. So you go to mass and they say, okay, we're going to be playing the, you know, Bob Hurd music and then, and uh, you know, Dave Schultz and stuff. Uh, not not Gregorian chant. They say, well, they haven't read the documents of Vatican II, so they don't know that we're we're supposed to do this. We'll just play some some corny, uh, awful '70s music, you know, with uh, Bob Dylan, and they don't know. Oh yeah, stand up and receive communion in the hand. They don't know that the documents never called for that. Exactly. So so what the left does, Terry? Again, it's a new term that Tim Gordon taught me. Yeah. It's called secret codified heteropraxy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and what it means is in in in, in secret. They already had this plan. Many of those on the left will say, look it, we have to write the documents orthodox so they can pass muster or they're not going to pass. Because even, even Lefebvre signed off on them, Terry. That's true. And Ottaviani signed. Yep. And, and the, in other words, the documents could be interpreted in an orthodox manner. Of course. And that's why, and, and, but what they did, they never intended to implement these orthodox teachings of Vatican II. That's what Tim Gordon calls secret codified heteropraxy. We're just going to teach people how to do things wrong because, and we'll reinforce wrong behavior liturgically. Well, I think he's got, he's onto that. That's I think you're right. Me, buddy. <laughs> yeah. And we come back, we're going to have Church Militant on talking about the news yep. coming up and how we can be well-informed to pray for the conversion of our church. And I mean that. A conversion of our church has always been a prayer. Stay with us, family. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin and Powerful Radio. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Love God, save souls, and slay error. That's what VMPR does. That's what Church Militant does as well. We've got Hunter Bradford, anchor for Church Militant. Welcome, my friend, to the Terry and Jesse Show. Hunter, can you hear us? We can see you. Okay, I can. Okay, Hunter, we can hear you now. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, I can well, hear you now. So what's going on in, uh, in the news uh, with the church, politics, and the culture? That's right. Yeah. So uh, we've got some, I mean, I'm, I'm sadly to say we've got some bad news. Yeah. Uh, yesterday, yeah. uh, Joe Biden signed oh, the, yeah. uh, he codified same-sex marriage into federal law. You know, this isn't uh, very different from most of the states who already have legalized same-sex marriage. I think what'll be interesting in the future is when uh, a case gets brought to hopefully the Supreme Court, which possibly challenges this uh, federal law. Uh, so we'll see if, you know, how they answer the question of can a federal law trump a state law? Um, that'll be an interesting question. Yeah, in my, in my opinion, uh, I th- well, obviously we all know, all three of us know that this is an unjust law oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. for Catholics or anybody that believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and you know what's sad, Hunter, is that this law was signed by a baptized Catholic. Yes. Yeah. yeah. This, this this man is the worst president we've had in my lifetime, and he's and he's a he's an embarrassment to the Catholic Church. He signed this bill in the law. We don't know the implications. I, I don't know. I was talking to my pastor. He was saying, I don't know if he's going to say that uh, you know we can't read Genesis 19 anymore, the Sodom and Gomorrah, and, 
and quote quote the catechism on paragraph 2357 on homosexuality. I don't know yeah. what it's going to do for for priests. I mean, I don't think these topics are, are broached enough anyhow, but can you imagine with the threat of this, uh, they, they're, they're going to be silent about these issues. And what about people like us who have, who have kind of a, we have a microphone, a forum, and we say something that's factual, like sodomy is inherently intrinsically evil. It's gravely disordered. Uh, and it goes against sacred scripture and sacred tradition, and it goes against the natural law. I mean, what's going to happen to Church Militant, VMPR, in the future with this law that's been signed by Joe Biden? Oh, oh, you know, again, we don't know what's we don't know what the future holds. Yeah, and I mean, when you think about it, going forward, uh, the people who are in power and have the power to criminalize, let's say, what you were just talking about, quoting scripture, criminalize uh, having the correct and a biblical worldview of what marriage is, uh, those people have the power to criminalize those things. Yep. So yep. it could be the case in the future where if you are, you know, if you're a faithful Catholic and you say, you know what, I, I recognize that marriage is between one man and one woman, you could be thrown in jail. Um, and we got to be ready for that. We got to be focusing on uh, becoming, becoming holy and praying every single day and uh, fasting and, and sacrificing. Hunter, Amen. but I will say Bishop Strickland yesterday on the Bishop Strickland Hour said exactly that. He said, I'll go to jail over this. He said, you know what? It's not the first time this has happened to Christians. And he says, we've got to become first century Christians again and stand up to the culture of death. And I'm right with him. Yeah, I, I listen to that. I always like uh, your interview with him and just listening to him at any time. He's a good, faithful yeah. bishop. Yeah. And uh, speaking of bishops, though, and juxtaposing uh, Strickland with a not-so-faithful bishop is uh, Bishop Barry Nestout. So there's so many levels to the story, okay? So he made a public sex offender priest, a pastor, okay, I mean, that alone is like, okay, we could talk about that, but not only did he make Father Wayne Ball pastor of St. Augustine Parish, but he didn't inform the congregation that Father Wayne Ball had pleaded guilty to a uh, public sex case back in 2003. Unbelievable. Um, Unbelievable. And uh, I think it was police saw him in a car parked at a park uh, with another man. I mean, so many questions there. What is uh, Father doing with a man alone, much less in a car, much less um, in a, inappropriate activity? Yeah. So, okay, that's not even that's not even all of this, the story, though. Nestout, Bishop Barry Nestout, Richmond, Virginia, he heads the U.S. Bishop's Protection Committee Against Sexual Abuse. And not only did he make this guy who pled guilty of a public sex case a pastor in charge of souls, but he didn't even inform the congregation of, of Father Ball's past. He, he, the analogy I give, Hunter, is this. Uh, the the uh, the foxes or the uh, coyotes are in charge of the chicken coop. In other words, uh, the guy that's supposed to be protecting our souls is just doing the opposite. So that, that's a sad scenario. But I have to say, over the last 40 years of my life, in my own diocese, I've had three bishops do that in my own San Gabriel region. And, um, you know, uh, it's got to stop. We didn't have church militant exposing it back in the 80s and 90s. And uh, this, unfortunately, is sad to have to comment on, but we got to knock it off, man. we got to expose this with the truth of the gospel. Yes, no, absolutely right. One thing I really want all, um, all Christians and Catholics especially of goodwill to hear me, is that th these bishops 
are very likely, uh, most of them are not going to convert. They're not going to change their ways. They're not going to repent. Uh, however, um, we, we have to focus on what we can do. And if you are a young man, if you are married, if you are dating, if you're thinking about marriage, if you're already a father, you need to take uh, responsibility for your faith because you are charged with leading the souls of your wife and your children. And you cannot count on the local pastor. You can't count on your local bishop, but you can count on yourself because you have control over you. So are you fasting daily for your wife and children? Wow. Are you, you know, quote unquote, shedding blood for them? Are you sacrificing for them the way Christ sacrificed, sacrificed and sacrifices for the church? And that's really the question uh, for uh, all men, and this, of course, of, of women, but, you know, took the questions. Great point. You know what, it's, it's, it, it seems to me like we're back in the day, in the times of St. Uh, Peter Damien, who, he was a great, great cardinal, but he wrote about this, I think yeah, about a thousand years ago. Yep. Yeah. And he and wrote about how pre he wrote about how prevalent it was yeah. in, in in the clergy. It, it was and 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 once again, I think we're also back. Not to get too nostalgic here, I think we're back in the days of Noah. Um, most mo most people don't realize that the, the, the days of Noah. It tells us that there was a lot of bad marriages. Well, what does it mean by bad marriages? The Jewish midrash, the rabbis at the time of Christ and even before Christ, tell us that. God destroyed the world with a flood because of rampant homosexual uh, sodomy and bestiality. Male to male and man to beast uh, it had been legalized at that time, and, and, and it was widely practiced, and this is why God destroyed the world. We're returning back to that yep. right now. Yeah, and actually I think there's a connection between those two sins because... Uh, once man begins to have uh, sexual relations with people of the same sex, you are you are you're denigrating, you're degrading uh, the human person to yeah. an animal. Yeah. You are satisfying the well, animal well, instincts, yeah. uh, and so it, it's only a matter of time before uh, bestiality is accepted in the same culture. But uh, last story, sure, um, sure. again, you know, no surprise here. The Pontifical Academy for Life, they of course have a Twitter account, and in with that account, they posted an interview with its so-called moral theologian. His name is Father uh, Maurizio Chiodi. Uh, but in that interview, Chiodi explained that you know what, you know that whole teaching on contraception, it can be thrown out the window. You know that can that can take a hike because it's really not irreformable. It's not uh, infallible. It doesn't really matter that uh, we've had the same teaching on it for 2,000 years and uh, humani vitae. So, uh, yeah, there's more people in the Vatican who want to change church teaching. Hunter, can I give Hunter, you a little tip? A little... Because I have a friend who's a Vatican diplomat, retired, and you guys can look this up. The new prefect for the Doctrine of Faith is going to be announced. And it looks like, rumor has it, it will be a bishop from Germany who's for all the bad things you just talked about. No way. That's, a, that's, a, that's the news break I'm giving you guys to follow up. Vatican diplomat has an inside source. And if that happens, again, it's just a, it doesn't surprise me because of what you're telling us right now is that these places are being filled with lots of modernists in the church. And I just want to reassure everybody who's listening to the perennial teachings of the church. Like you just said, 
we if we know the perennial teachings of the church, we'll pray for the conversion of these people, these leaders in our church who are watering down the faith and in error, because that's what we do. We pray reparation prayers for people who are in error. So I just wanted to let you guys follow up on that one, because probably in a week or two, you're going to be talking about that. No, thank you, Terry. I think it's important to remember not to judge the church by the people who least follow yeah, her teachings. Really. Yeah, to judge, to Good judge point. the church by the people who most follow her, her saints, her you know her people at, at the very top who were uh, who live the faith best. And um, you know, you could also say that in uh, in one sense, of course, you know, the priests are uh, representatives of the church. That's true. Um, but they're also not the church in another way. And so uh, always keep the faith. And uh, there is actually always hope. Maybe the hope isn't coming uh, from on earth. Uh, You know, that's very likely true these days, considering when you look at uh, the situation politically and ecclesially. But we can always hope in our divine Lord, who we know uh, will prevail against Satan and um, will who hopefully will be with for all eternity. Amen. 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 Yeah, that's what I was. I had a conversation with a Mormon last night, and uh, this Mormon uh, keeps up on Catholic news. He says, "Hey, this seems like a lot of things are happening with your Catholic Church, with your Pope and bishops <laughs> and priests." And so th- this Mormon is he, he, he's kind of considering conversion. I I told a Mormon, I said, "Just like your faith is not in Joseph Smith, I said my faith is not in any Pope or bishop or priest. My faith is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God." Amen. That's that's the essence of Catholicism. Then he goes, "Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that man will convert. I know uh, if he's talking to you or both of you, yeah. he has a good chance. Yeah. I oh, love, yeah. I love the line that Pope is the vigor of Christ, not the superior of Christ. Christ. Yes. And so we have yes. to remember that we worship Jesus Christ, right here. That's who we worship. All right, Hunter, thanks for joining us again. How can people get the news again? Real quick, your website. Churchmilitant.com. We we come out with the news every day at 5 p.m. Eastern time. So check out churchmilitant.com. Yes, what state should we be living in, brother? Let's live in a state of grace. Don't live in a state of mortal sin. Remember to love God, save souls, and slay error. And flee this corrupt generation. Terry. Amen. Don't forget our Lady of Fatima said souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices for them. Will you do that? Hunter talked about it in this last segment because we can affect the souls for all eternity through our prayers. Please do that today and the rest of your life and participate in the great work of the mission of Christ to save souls. Souls are saved, everything is saved. If souls aren't saved, nothing is saved. Thanks again for joining us here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We're going to continue to teach the perennial teachings of the church. Amen. Amen. God bless you and keep up the good work. Thanks for your support. 